Hello and welcome back to the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Romy. And I'm Sandan. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the third and final installment of our three-part health series, where we're joined by the amazing Nero Dayalan. Nero shares his emotional, inspirational and empowering story of overcoming his personal demons and the hurdles that set him back to find his purpose as a freedom and resilience coach and start his very own personal development company, Unconventional. Nero addresses what we can all do to be the strongest and best versions of ourselves through unlocking our mindset. Before we jump into this one, we wanted to give you a content warning that this episode is a little heavy and does discuss topics of domestic violence and abuse. Nevertheless, Nero's story and message is one not to be missed. Now on to the episode. Nero, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I have to admit, sometimes when I'm kind of scrolling through social media and maybe consuming the less let's say, intelligent things that's out there. It's nice uh, stumbling across some of your pearls of wisdom because we love all the stuff that you're posting and I feel like it's very tangible and applicable day to day. So really appreciate you being a part of this health series and talking to us a little bit about mindset. Um, Before we kind of dive into that, we'd love to hear more about you personally. Yeah, um, so I'm a Sri Lankan-born Shane. So I came here in the mid-80s when I was about four or five. Um, back then there were a few Shalikans, wasn't many. Yeah. Uh, so growing up here was an interesting experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the name of your podcast. I think it's so tuned with what a lot of brown Sri Lankan people are feeling. Mm. Um, it was as if when I was growing up, I had no place where I belonged. Mm. Right. I didn't belong at school. I didn't belong back home. So there was a bit of a disconnect. Yeah. So the feeling was very much of being alone, being a bit of an outcast, mm-hmm. right? So that was pretty much my childhood. Yeah. And then from there, where did the, your personal mission stem to, yeah. to start something like Unconventional? See, um, belonging is yeah. such an important human need. Mm-hmm. It's not a want. Mm-hmm. It's a psychological need. And when we don't feel like we belong, there is an emotion called loneliness that comes up, right? And with loneliness, it's one of the foundations of mental health issues. So pretty much all throughout my teens, 20s, I was in a place of pure desperation, pure loneliness, combined with a lot of uh, addictions, mental health issues, uh, anger was probably the number one emotion that I (laughs) led into. Um, And... I was getting help, but the help wasn't working and something had to change. I needed to branch out and find something that would work for me. And that was you starting this sort of journey to yeah. start unconventional. Yeah. Wow. That's a huge revelation to make that you'll yeah. just help yourself and, and try, you know, do what you're doing. How old were you when yeah, that kind of light bulb ask. How old were switched? You? Uh, it wasn't a moment. Yeah. The professional help journey started when I was nine. There was a lot of PTSD traumas that I was dealing with from childhood stuff. Uh, but the personal journey, that started around 23, 25. Mm. I'm kind of fortunate that I was able to say, okay, no one quite understands me. I need to figure this stuff out. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it started around 23, 25. But when you start, 
with so much information out there, mm. right? like it's you been said, overwhelming. <laughs> it's overwhelming. Yeah. So it probably took me about seven years to really understand what this whole personal journey is about. Yeah. yeah. But is it one of those things where you feel like you need to start the journey, make those mistakes to figure out what works best for you and how to approach it? Or do you feel like you worked inefficiently to search for those things and there was a smarter way you could have handled it? Can I say a bit of both? There would have definitely been a smarter way, but I was so egoistic as a 20-year-old thinking that I could do it myself. Right. And because I was such a loner, I didn't really have faith that other people can understand me. Right. right. It was only in my late 20s that I met a couple of people, uh, a swami, okay. right, and also one of my coaches, uh, which was very different. Mm. approach was very different and it was only then that kind of the bell curve effect kind of started kicking in so yeah coming back to your question it's a bit of both it's it's i did waste a lot of time thinking that i could find the answers through books and there was no social media back then but youtube was coming up yeah so i thought i could find my answers through there the books did help but nowhere near the practical work that yeah, I started doing right. in, in my late 20s. Yeah. yeah, on your website and through social media, you seem quite transparent about what kind of trauma you went through in terms of your home situation that kind of led you to start this journey. Um, could you talk to us about, uh, maybe I'm not sure if this is too personal to ask or not, but how much of a challenge it was to kind of navigate those things by yourself? And then you mentioned before that you sought help, but it wasn't working for you. What are the things that you did try that didn't work and why didn't they work? And, and before I tell my stories, I've got to say that like, you know, professional help does work, right? Medication yeah. does work. This is my personal story. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was just a Band-Aid solution. Right. It helped me not want to destroy myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it didn't really teach me anything. Mm. So how I looked at it in my personal side of things is that uh, the professional help helped me kind of address the past, not totally, but in a way. The personal work, the personal development work taught me how to love, mm. how to create, yeah. right? How to have relationships, how to think, yeah. how to feel. So how to move forward. How to move yeah. forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the therapy was more about past-focused. Yeah. The personal work was also past-focused, but the intention of it is to get you into the future. That's how I saw it in my personal journey. Yeah. Um, when you're talking about my trauma, growing up, trauma created my dyslexia. Right? I also had ADD. I had a cocktail of learning disabilities. In a time where ADHD or ADD and dyslexia wasn't really quite understood. Yeah. They gave me Ritalin when I was younger, but they didn't understand then that Ritalin also caused depression. Mm. Right. Then to mitigate the Ritalin, there was antidepressants, right? So it's yeah. just like, okay, so what's next? Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. What are you going to give me to mitigate right, uh, the antidepressants? Yeah. And as a teenager going into 20s, what did, what did those kids do? Drink a lot. Uh, so I was already on heavily medicated, right? And there was alcohol. There was all of these things coming into picture. I'm actually quite surprised that I'm still standing here. 
right? Uh, just with those cocktails of things that were happening in the past. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to deal with all of that alone is a lot. And you also on your website, I was reading about the kind of domestic situation that you were navigating mm. in your family as well, which is obviously so traumatic as well. So I think, yeah, you should be really proud of how you're able to pull yourself out of that place to inspire so many people with the work you're doing through Unconventional oh, now. Most definitely. I mean, not only to yeah. pull yourself out but also then pass help that others. forward and yeah. help other people is what you would have wanted at that age right mm. so you're that person now for other people which is just incredible yeah it's amazing yeah. i guess following on from that what is the story behind unconventional uh, when did you start it how did you think about starting something like this so uh to explain unconventional i might yeah. need to go all the way back at home. Mm. Uh, one of my first memory uh, is back in Sri Lanka, and it's when the Sri Lankan riots were happening. In the 80s. In the 80s, early 80s. That was my first memory. And there was a time where we were hiding in the basement of our one of our neighbor's house. Yeah. Sorry, would you have been kind of toddler age then or yeah, a little bit so older? so about two, probably three. Yeah. Wow. Right? Um, so I was at an age where I was talking. Mm. Right, where I can actually feel the energy of people around yeah. me. Mm. So we were hiding in the basement. Dad was overseas, uh, grandmother, mum, and myself. And because they were freaking out, I was freaking out. Mm. And what does a child do? They vocalize their fear because there was basically people in the house trying to find us. Right? So my grandmother took a handkerchief and put it on top of my mouth, suppressed my voice. She didn't know this, but she also suppressed my oxygen. Oh. So I passed out. And luckily, well, I'm still here, so nothing too bad happened. Yeah. But my voice was suppressed to a level that I didn't speak for several years after that. Wow. And when wow. I did speak, I spoke with stutter. And um, that was a real-life metaphor of the life that was about to come for me. Yeah. It was a huge level of suppression. Yeah and mental suppression, emotional suppression, spiritual suppression. Yeah. And it was like such a poetic journey that uh, <laughs> I, I'm i looking back and I'm thinking poetic. Right? Yeah. When yeah. I was going through it, yeah. it doesn't feel poetic. Traumatic. Sure. Yeah. Um, so unconventional really came through in giving voice, giving voice to your soul giving voice to your purpose, mm. giving voice to what's the medicine that is in every single one of our hearts. Mm. And I'm kind of embarrassed that I have to call it unconventional. I'm somewhat ashamed that it is unconventional. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's unconventional to find your path. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unconventional is very much about freeing what's inside of you. Mm. Yeah. Freeing your mind freeing your heart, freeing your soul. Um, and it's sad that it's unconventional, but it is what it is right now. Yeah. And yeah. my mission is to make the unconventional, this journey, into something that's conventional. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we need people like that to do what you're doing to make it conventional, right? Um, you weren't always working in this space, were you? No, so I, <laughs> I followed the conventional path. <laughs> right, um, leaving high school, no idea what I wanted to do, right? In fact, I failed high school. I was barely there. And I had to make a decision of where I was going. And obviously, being brown, our parents are saying, go where there's money. Stability. Stability. Mm -hmm. But deep down inside of me, I knew I wanted to go into something 
in the psychology field. Yeah. Right. But follow money. So my uncle, he was in IT. So I followed IT and I sucked at it. (laughs) (laughs) I was ridiculously bad. But when I was doing that program, what I realized is that I was bad with technology, terrible with technology, but I was good with people. Right. Mm. I was good at understanding needs. I was yeah. good at understanding pain points, yeah. which is basically what IT is about. Mm. So I stopped focusing on the technical side of stuff and started focusing on the people. And that was probably one of my first discoveries of who I was. By focusing on people, I was then able to go down the path of management, right? Yeah. So went up high the ladders, by the way, no education, went up through the letters, uh, made it to IT executive, CIO, um, and uh, did pretty well. But probably the last 12 months of me doing that work, I experienced another mental health issue. I wasn't true to who I was. It wasn't my work. My soul wanted something different. Mm. And that's when I came across, through some of my studies, a thing called Dharma. Dharma is your fingerprint of your soul, your unique fingerprint of your soul. And when your life, external life, matches your internal fingerprint, that's where you find freedom. Mm. And I went through that mental crisis to help me understand that my work wasn't in fixing IT cultures, fixing IT systems, networks. Um, it was a different network altogether, mm. a neurological network, yeah. <laughs> a yeah. consciousness network. So it was only when I actually made that shift into not just learning about coaching, transformational work, but actually teaching it mm. is when I actually found that. Fulfillment. Yeah. 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 It wasn't easy. The business side of things definitely was a struggle, mm. but the work of working with individuals was just, even now, I've been in the game for about eight years now. And I still love what I do. That's yeah, awesome. That's yeah. yeah. I've got maybe a more personal reflection and question to ask about that, but we'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, this whole kind of like self-help space, mm-hmm. was that something that someone introduced you to or did you go out seeking it yourself? I know you mentioned before that your mentor and guru kind of introduced you to this way of thinking, but was that something you saw out yourself or was that something you stumbled into? It's interesting. So there was part of my, my 20s that I was heavily, heavily addicted to drugs, right? Marijuana was everyday experience. Um, so I would go out with the boys, smoke some weed, come home. It will probably be about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, put the TV on and um, saw the infomercial of Anthony Robbins. Oh. So I'm there, yes, thrown out of my head, but I'm just watching hours of this infomercial of Anthony Robbins. And while I'm just staring at this, something was happening in the back of my head. It's like mm. going, hey, he's doing things to people on stage. Mm. Some of these people have the same problems that I do. So what's going on? Right? Uh, didn't have the money at the time because we were really, really poor. But one of my aunts actually bought a series of Anthony Robbins CDs, right. which I then pirated. <laughs> right, so if Tony Robbins is listening, right, I am so sorry. <laughs> I did spend a lot of money on you later on, but <laughs> my start was uh, um, I pirated these videos and I just listened every single day, right? Uh, it was slow. 
not everything landed. I mean, I think it's still landing now, but it got me into a place that there is something different. Uh, I'm not going to say his video series or his audio series changed me. It did. It changed me in a way that there's hope. There is something different. Yeah. Right. So that's what really got me started from there. From there, um, I read this book called Autobiography of a Yogi mm. by Paramahansa Yogananda. That fully transformed me. Wow. Right. Uh, another person who transformed someone that you might know is Steve Jobs, mm. who walks around with that book everywhere. Right. Um, so started that. And I was going, okay, cool. So there's thing called NLP, which is what Tony Robbins used, and this thing called Kriya. So let's explore down these two parts. These two parts opened up different gates, right? Like NLP went into hypnosis, went into positive psychology, went into transpersonal coaching, all of the things that I've studied, mm. right? I just thought, you know what? If someone can't help me out, I'm going to study this stuff. So it kind of went from just reading and listening to, this is a time before podcast, by the way, listening from there, because that, it helps, it gives hope. It doesn't necessarily transform. It gives us a, a view of looking at things differently. Transformational work is when I actually step into learning these things and also installing it in me. Yeah, yeah that's a difficult part, right? To actually... Make it practical. Yeah, make it practical. Because especially now, there are so many self-help books, for example. And I mean, I personally like them, but honestly, like I, I'll read them and then a month later, I've forgotten what I've read unless yeah. I take notes. Like it's really difficult, but it's inspiring when you read it. Yeah, yeah. So how did you... Yeah, like how were you able to actually action those things and not just sort of read and forget? So again... I had multiple breakdowns, mm. right? And one of my breakdowns, I thought, okay, I'm just going to go find someone in Australia that teaches NLP, who does something like Anthony Robbins. And that's when I met a guy called Rob Whitewood. Right? It was like the closest thing I had to a father. Uh, my father left when I was eight, right? He was there, but he wasn't really there, right? So he taught me things. But one of the biggest things that he taught me, he goes, Nero, you know a lot. But knowledge is not wisdom. See, knowledge is something that we do in our head. Remember things. Wisdom is knowledge plus action. Mm. Wisdom is when you take what's in here and make it into embodiment. Mm. So therefore, it becomes a part of you. See, a lot of us, we want to read something and we think that by simply knowing this, it's inside of us. Yeah. No, it's in a different part of us. Yeah. It's in our head. It's in our memory banks, but it's not part of our behavior. Transformation is not easy. So what we're talking about here is transformation, not knowledge. Knowledge is important, but it's only potential. Transformation is when we can take our potential and make it a reality. Mm. Yeah. Transformation is when we expand, when we transform, we can never go back to who we were before. Mm. That's transformation. So if you think about a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, butterfly can't go back into a caterpillar, yeah. no matter how hard it wants to. Yeah. So likewise, when we transform, in other words, evolve, we can't go back to the same form of thinking and feeling of how we were before. Yeah. That is the wisdom work. That is the transformational work. So how we do that, that's a journey in itself. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And just because we're talking about kind of different terminologies now. Um, could you clarify the difference between mindfulness and mindset? Because I feel like, I think sometimes we interpret same them thing. as the same thing, but they're quite different. 
according to psychology, is totally different, right? Mindset is how you think. So mindset is a combination of all your thoughts. So the method that you use to think, right? Mindset determines what's possible and what's not possible in your life. So my story, very, very poor. You know, my brother, my mom, my grandparents were living in a one and a half bedroom apartment for the first 22 years of my life. So we had a very poverty-based mindset. Mm. All of our thoughts was we can't afford it. Mm. It costs too much. It's for rich people. Money is evil. Okay, That was the mindset that we had. doesn't mean it's true. Mm. In fact, there was a study that happened in Michigan University that said 80% of our thoughts are not true. 80%. Wow. And do you know how many thoughts we have per day? Fifty yeah. to eighty thousand thoughts. Can you imagine the person that was responsible for telling those <laughs> thoughts? <laughs> Fifty to eighty thousand thoughts per day. Wow. And eighty percent of those thoughts are not true. Okay, so that's our mindset. Mindset determines how we think, and it determines what's possible and what's not possible. Mindfulness is the practice of using your five senses to be in the present moment. Right? By using your five senses, you're in the present moment. You're not worried about your problems. You're not worried about your traumas. You're not worried about the past. You're not worried about what your boss might do to you five weeks from now or if you have money to pay next week's rent. Mm-hmm. Mindfulness is a tool that we use to bring into the present moment. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's one of the tools to help change your mindset. your mindset got you but please understand mindfulness is nowhere near strong enough to change the mindset alone mm-hmm. there are other things that we need to do yeah. yeah right but mindfulness is a practice mindset is how we think and what we've created in what's possible and what's not possible in our life mm. yeah and then flowing from that then obviously mindset is so important because it really does determine what you think is possible in your life. So along with mindfulness, what else do you think can help us in changing our mindset? Because I feel like for a lot of people, their mindset is what stops them. Mm. It acts as a barrier, right? Because especially if you have a negative mindset, it kind of limits you almost to what you think you're capable of or what you think your life is capable of bringing you. Well, there's actually three things that limits us. Um, one is mindset, other one is your emotional resilience, mm. and then the third one is identity. Yeah, let's let's. Um, I'm interested. Let's unpack each of those. Mm. You want to do all three? Yeah. Mm. Okay. Cool. So we'll make this into seven sessions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so okay, let's look at it on the brain aspect. Imagine you've got a brain, and we cut the brain in half. Mm. There are three layers in the brain. There's neurocortex which is the cauliflower part of our brain, Mm -hmm. right? If we go inside of it is our limbic system, more mushier, softer. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what we were born with. Then underneath that is our reptilian brain. Our reptilian brain, often misunderstood, but what is currently understood in psychology, it's responsible for our fight, flight, freeze, and excuse the language, fuck part of our brain. Mm. I'm talking about animalistic sex for reproduction. Mm -hmm. So the neurocortex is where we do most of our logical thinking. 
This is where the mindset part comes into mm. how we think really sits in that neurocortex side of things. Mm. If you ever had a stress headache, in mm. other words, overthinking, overanalyzing, overwhelmed, stuck, lost, confused, you'll notice that you've got a headache, right? Mm. Kind of like in the front of your head. That's because that part of the brain is kind of really stuck in its processing power. Right. Okay, so mindset is the frontal aspect of our brain. Mm. It's responsible of how we think, what's possible, and what's not possible. The second part of it is the limbic system, which I call the emotional resilience. Mm -hmm. The limbic system is where most of our traumas are saved. Mm. When we are unable to release an emotion, it gets stored. Mm. It gets stored somewhere. The limbic system, it doesn't understand logic. Right. So we can talk why you went through what you went through, which is what I did most in my therapy sessions. We talked about it. My logical mind understood it, but my limbic system couldn't right. understand it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Right. And our limbic system is actually, I would say, more powerful. It doesn't understand words. It doesn't understand pictures. It doesn't understand positive, negative. It mm. only understands feelings, just feelings. So if you are unable, like how I was when my grandmother suppressed my voice, mm. even though she did it from a place of love, logic said she did it in a place of love. If she didn't do that, we would be dead. Mm. However, I still felt suppressed. Mm. I still felt not understood. I felt rejected by the person that was supposed to create me safety. Mm. Yeah. Right? So logically, mindset understood. Olympic system, the resilience, emotional resilience, didn't understand that. Yeah. So we need to learn how to regulate emotions. We need to learn how to separate our emotions from our behavior. Mm. Most of us, everything that we do is emotional based, mm. right? We make a decision if we want to go to the gym or not want to go to the gym. Mm. Right? Wake up at seven o'clock in the morning. Oh, I don't feel like going to the gym, mm. right? Yeah. See, there needs to be a space between emotions and behavior. I'm not saying emotions are bad. Emotions are very, very important. But it doesn't have a place with our behavior. Mm. And if we look at this world, and if we look at all the things that we've done to this world, mm. it's because behavior is driven by emotions. Mm. Right? The third one, the reptilian brain, is our identity. So a reptilian brain is fighting, fleeing, freezing, or reproducing in order to protect something. Right. And it's often to protect our identity of what it thinks that we are. Mm. So if our mind thinks that we are weak, we are vulnerable, every threat that it comes our way even if it's not really a threat, but if it's perceived as a threat, it's going to fight, flee, or try to reproduce or freeze. Mm. So our reptilian brain is trying to protect us from something, even though we don't, it doesn't understand who we really are. Mm. So with the identity piece, which is normally advanced work, by learning who you are, why you exist, and what you're here to do, it starts relaxing our reptilian brain. It starts protecting our personal identity, our dharma, in other words. Dharma is who we are, why we exist, and what we're here to do. Mm. 
when we learn this, our reptilian brain is now focused on protecting that, which ends up taking us forward, not backwards. Mm. So if we don't know who we are, we're trying to protect our traumas. We're trying to protect ourselves from not getting hurt, which is impossible. Mm. (laughs) Protect our ego. Protect our ego. Mm. It starts creating, if it's not trained, like an animal, it needs to be trained. Yeah. Reptilian brain, it yeah. needs to be trained. If it's not trained, it's going to start making things up. So we need to teach our reptilian brain, and we can't do that when our thoughts are all over the place, mm. right? when we can't make decisions, when we're not consistent. That's the mindset work. We can't do that when we have internal traumas that we haven't regulated mm. or, inter- or stuck emotions or when we're unable to separate emotions from our behavior. So we need to do that stuff first. Mm. Then we can get into the deeper side of things, right, on figuring out who you are, what your purpose is, what you're here to do. Mm. Yeah. See, a lot of people coming up to me goes, Nero, I need to know my purpose. Why? It's, ah, oh, man, I'm just so stressed and anxious and depressed. And, like, if I have a purpose, then I won't be. There's no. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Mm. Because you'll always be, and like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, if you try to think like, if you fulfill your purpose, then you will feel better about yourself. Like, in, if you don't actually address the internal things first, even if you fulfill that purpose, you won't be fulfilled as a person. And then you'll keep trying to move the goalposts and thinking, oh, no, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe if I do something else, then I'll be more fulfilled, right? If you don't actually deal with the internal stuff first. Well, correct. That's one of the reasons. But your purpose is your trauma. So I'm a freedom coach. I'm a resilience coach. I wouldn't be that if I wasn't able to resolve my trauma. Right. Yeah. I help people find their voice. My voice was taken away from me. So unless I was able to resolve that trauma and the process of resolving my trauma was how I figured my purpose out. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to figure out what your purpose is, and we all have traumas, by the way. Every single one of us have traumas. You don't have to have my life, right? Trauma is trauma. It's not comparable. Mm -hmm. Our brain can't compare that. Mm -hmm. Trauma is trauma. So our purpose is to resolve our trauma, regulate our trauma. Mm. And it's in the process of regulating our traumas can we actually figure out what we're here to do. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I guess it's a bit of a loaded question, which you're not going to be able to address in a one-hour episode of a podcast. But with the three points that you raised, what would you suggest in terms of someone who knows that they need to change their attitudes towards the logical side of how they look at things, the emotional side, and I guess the instinctual side, what do you think or what do you recommend as the starting points of kind of starting that journey to improve on those things? The first thing is you can't do this by yourself, right? Um, Even now I've got five coaches Mm. for different things, okay? So that's the first thing, invest in you. This is the part that I don't understand with most people. People will buy a... $50,000 $50,000 car wouldn't blink. They'll buy a house that is like in, in Sydney, it's a million dollar plus. But they'd spend no, absolutely none on their headspace, mm. on their emotional space. 
right? And they'll be like, oh, I read a book a year. Right? I watch YouTube. Yeah. It's no. Like, this is the most important investment yeah. that you will ever make in your life. Yeah. And it's nowhere near as price of a car yeah. or a house, right? Yeah. yeah. Or even some shoes that are out there, right? So start investing in yourself. There's a common thing that most people who are stuck, lost, confused, overwhelmed, burnt out, they always say it like a mantra. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. And for most of them, that's the truth. But they stop there. They don't say, well, how can I create more money, more time, more energy? How do I create this? Right. So the first step here is get help. If you really can't get help, look at how to evolve past these three things, time, money, energy. Okay. So mm-hmm. you don't have it now. Okay. Do you really not have it now? Mm-hmm. Then how do you evolve past that? How can you get to a place that you do have money, time, energy to invest in yourself? Mm-hmm. Right. So I would say that's this first part. The second part is the first work that you'll need to do is to look in your mindset. And if you go to someone, a guru, swami, personal developer, coach, anyone, the first thing that they'll do is look at your mindset. They'll look at how you think. And that's the part we need to change first before we can get access to the deeper stuff. Yeah. And honestly, mindset work is really, it's not hard work. It's not rocket science. Hey, I'm teaching it, so it can't be rocket science, right? <laughs> right? It's, there's thousands, millions, billions of people before us that have been able to transform their mind, and we're reading about them right now. We look up to them. Gandhi, Nelson Mandela. So that will be the very first thing to really look into. And I can't really give a template because everyone is different. Yep. Yeah, of course. Yeah? Yeah. So if you are someone that's never invested in themselves, other than reading books, right, watching YouTube, all those things, and you do want a transformation. In other words, taking stuff from your head and make it part of your behavior. Mm. If that's what you're after, then start with mindset. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I think for me personally, I think the periods where I am investing more in self-development, and for me that could be even just learning about other ideas or other things that are happening in the world that I'm not exposed to mm-hmm. versus the times where I'm not exploring that. I just see a complete shift in my mood and my attitude towards certain things. Um, recently, I've started speaking to someone who's been able to kind of challenge my mindset in a way that I hadn't before, mm-hmm. which has been good for me. But if you ask me what I'm kind of struggling with or what I would want to speak to someone like you about, so I feel like I'm always kind of, fighting a micro and a macro dilemma so on a micro level I'm always comparing myself to other people and always thinking that I can do more Mm. um, and trying to figure out how I can do that but always falling short because there's always someone better always someone something more I could have been doing but then on a macro level I'm kind of like but none of this matters we're all gonna die and we don't take anything with us so those are two kind of like very different ideologies which always kind of clash for me Okay. And I think that for me is a limitation of my mindset in, in the micro sense, because I don't take that leap to take a chance on something because I'm comparing myself to other people. But on the macro level, it's kind of that mindset of not being satisfied because nothing matters in yeah. a more 
I guess, philosophical sets. Cool. You want to smash it out? Hit me up. Okay, cool. Love this. <laughs> right? So, there are two ways that people think. And there's only two ways. And before I show you these two ways, I want to show you another two ways. Uh, people either are out there people. We look out there for answers of how we should live our life, which is the conventional path, right? We look out there, social media, comparison, judgment, resentment. All of these things happen when we are looking out there. The second way of doing it is an inside out. I look internally to find the answers. So to really figure out which one of these two that you're playing. So if you think about the dreams you were talking about, that you were thinking, therefore you're comparing, right? Are you playing a game where you're playing to win or playing not to lose? I have the answer already because I saw this on your socials and it made me think about it. Yeah. And I'm definitely playing not to lose. Yes. And I think you'd expect that based on what I was telling you. I'm yeah. kind of thinking about. Yeah. I mean, like even both your micro and your macro, they're both not to lose. Yeah. You're comparing not to lose. And it's like, well, why should I make an effort if I'm going to die and I'm not going to take anything out there? To that, what I will tell to you is that, yes, everyone's going to die. But it's how you're going to live. Yeah, I think I completely agree with you. I think the the thing that clashes is that on the macro, I'm comparing and it playing not to lose because other people are winning. Mm-hmm. And on the macro, it's kind of like, you know, why am I not taking all these risks because I'm eventually going to die? Not that... The fear of dying is what's limiting it. No, it's not the fear of dying. You, yeah. just, you, you don't see a point. It's not that I don't see a point, but I think that's the limitation. Like in, in one sense, it should be a motivator to take those risks, right? Because we're all going to die. It doesn't matter. Why not just quit my job and do something I'm more passionate about? And so this is the where the mindset stuff comes into play, right? The pain of something is greater for you than taking the risk. Right. So I guess in my head, I'm kind of like, I'm not in either one of these camps. I'm not in the micro camp when I'm playing to win, but I'm also not in that macro camp where I'm, to your point, I've dealt with the things to be able to take that risk. Yeah, so they're both playing to lose things. Yeah, but in kind of different ways. So when you normally would have expected or wanted someone to be in one camp, so then you can kind of address it in a particular way. versus No, no, no. What you're saying is very common. You're playing not to lose in both camps. Yeah. Yeah. But then I guess I guess maybe the question the better question is changing the mindset of one or the other, can you kind of apply those kind of same logics in both ways, or would you look at it differently based on I would actually go for the root cause. Right? I would and I don't know if you want to do this here, but no. yeah. <laughs> I think you know what that root cause is. I can see it in your eyes. Right? I would go for the root cause that is playing those two things out. Now you've gone from mindset, now you've gone into Olympic, mm. right? You've gone into something a bit emotional, right? And I can see that in your eyes right now. You know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about, right? Or a series of things. It might not be one thing, but mm. a series of things. Mm. That is what also creates the mindset, right? So you can do things on, okay, how would playing to win look like? Mm. But there are three things here that keep us playing not to lose. There are three needs, approval, control, safety. So 
when we're doing the mindset work, right, someone that is playing to win approves of themselves. They know that they're a valuable human. They know they are a worthy human. Are they good at everything? Probably not. And because of that, they're willing to fail. And for them, failure is not failure. A playing to win mindset person knows that failure is determined by when you end the story. So a playing to win person doesn't end the story until they win. Mm. Yeah. So the second thing is control. A lot of us are trying to control external forces, Mm. trying to control our parents, money, our bosses, our staff, we, we are so focused on controlling what's out there, but we don't pay attention to focus on what's in our control. Mm. Are we in control of the things that are in our control? Mm. Okay. And I do these questions at least six, seven times a week, a day, right? Mm. I've just got to keep reminding myself, Yeah. right? Do I approve of me? Yes. Am I in control of what's in my control? Uh, no. <laughs> Go do that then. Mm. The third one, which I think may be related to you, am I safe? In other words, do I feel understood? Mm, right. Yeah? So it's not just physical safety. It's more so do you it's feel... psychological. Yeah, mm. yeah. Do I feel understood? Feeling understood or not understood mm. is why people feel lonely. And because we don't have someone that understands us, because the truth is, if you don't understand yourself, nobody else can understand you, mm-hmm. right? Because you're always changing, moving around. It's like, which version of you am I going to get today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't understand yourself, no one else can understand you. And this is where a lot of relationship fails because we get into a relationship expecting, hoping, desiring that the other person will somehow understand the things a part of us that we don't understand mm. yeah right not realizing that they're human they've got their own problems and insecurities and stuff safety the bottom one approval control safety mm. this is what determines if you're playing not to lose or if you're playing to win so without going too much into your personal story or where you're coming from it's one of these three and I'm pretty sure you know what it is. No, it's, it's definitely um, having buckets where I can kind of compartmentalize things and look at it in that way really helps. Mm. So I think those three things are a good thing for me to reflect off the podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I'll definitely do that work. Question around those three things. Mm-hmm. Do they have a flow-on effect from each other? Like once you approve of yourself, that's when you can truly, for example, feel safe or yeah. feel understood because... Or is it more? Yeah, yeah. So, so safety is the foundational need. Yeah. Right? Uh, but how we get safety changes from person to person. Like for me, I'm an approval guy. I used to be an, a people pleaser, right? Uh, there's still part of that inside of me where I'll sacrifice my own needs and wants to please others, which is a disaster, by the way, when it comes to relationships, mm-hmm. right? Um, so for me... I would get safety through approval. Right. If you like me, I feel safe. Mm. So if I'm seeking you to like me, then I'm not going to feel approved sometimes. And that for me will impact my safety. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Whereas other people, let's use Donald Trump. He's a control guy. 
Now, when he's not in control, I'm guessing he doesn't feel safe, mm. right? <laughs> yeah. So everyone's a little bit different. How we how we do this is very different, and there's no way of me actually knowing this unless I'm able to go deep, yeah, and understand um, what's happening inside. But approval, control, safety. This is big. This is not just the mindset work. This is also the emotional resilience work, the limbic system, and the identity work. This is working on all three at the same time. Yeah, mm. yeah, got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that, and I think it's interesting because I feel like there's a group of people who kind of look at self help as oh, it's just like just silly stuff, you know. It's like putting, woo woo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's manifestations. You're just putting things into the universe. Yeah. What does that mean? Like all this rubbish, right? Yeah. But then. I mean, to your point, digging down to understand the root cause of why you are the way you are and then kind of working in to outward, like you mentioned, um, unlock so many different opportunities and understandings of yourself and the world around you. So I think, yeah, I mean, every time someone kind of mentions something like, oh, like, what is it? Like, who cares about self-help? You know, there's, there's better things to invest in. I'm always like, you're, you're missing out on so many great mm. things. Mm. Yeah. That, so. And I think one of the other thoughts, and this certainly comes to mind for me as well, is you always think there's someone out there who's going through something worse. So I feel like, I don't know if this is just a me thing, but I don't know if other people out there stop themselves from seeking that type of help because they feel like what they've gone through is like not that big anyway. So it's like, you know, in comparison, like you yourself, Nero, like you've seen war, you've seen violence, like, you know, it's a lot of heavy stuff. So for someone who hasn't seen those things, it's like, oh, I'm fine. Like, I'll just deal with this stuff. It's all small things. Like, yeah. yeah. And there's, there's a lot of people that think that way. Yeah. But here's the thing. Trauma is trauma, period. The brain in trauma works the same way, regardless what the trauma is. It's only the, the logical part of our brain uh, that does the comparison. But the actual brain, the biology, everything like that, trauma is trauma. Mm. Okay? So for those people that think that your problems is not as bad as, you know, Nero's or like, you know, my childhood is not as bad as Nero's or someone else or anything like that, well, not true. Mm. If it's stuck inside your mind, if your heart has ever been broken, that's how I describe trauma, a broken heart, which every single one of us have had, mm. right? Mm. It's the same. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. I mean, even if people don't want to even think about that deeper side of it, it's just so helpful to unlocking the best version of yourself, mm. right? So even for the skeptics, I guess, it's, there's so many benefits that maybe they haven't considered. Yeah, money is one of the biggest benefits. I could tell you so much. Like I've in IT got no IT qualifications, but the personal development work that I was doing gave me leadership skills, mm. communication skills, listening skills, understanding skills, mm. which made me go from thirty-five thousand in my IT career to a high six-figure salary within eighteen months. That's mm. awesome. No IT skills. I was on a board of leaders, senior executives, everyone there had their masters or doctorates. Mm. I got 33% in my HSC mm. and I was sitting on the same table earning the same amount of money mm. as them. Mindset. Mindset. Yeah. How you think. 
Mm. Love that. There's so many like uh, parts of your story which are so inspirational. So to see it all come together, I feel yeah. like it's really going to inspire a lot of people listening to our podcast as well. Um, mm. And and like you were saying before, sometimes you don't understand that you have gone through something, or there is a part of you that needs to be addressed without you know trying to start that journey as well. So kind of as a way of wrapping up the episode with unconventional what are the kind of courses that you run that people or our listeners can look into to yeah yeah to explore so um obviously one-on-one coaching right and there's various styles to that i've got stuff for leaders i've got uh, and i think one of your guests that you had did my second program which is a group program it's called the warrior program mm. and there's been probably about 50 people over the last year or two that have gone through this program. This is a really intimate group program and it's really tapping in, being able to free the mind, being able to rewire the way that you think Mm. and also address the past and create a compelling future. Um, In the new year, I'm super excited about this. I've been working on this for at least 18 months and I'm almost almost there. Uh, in the new year, I'm creating an unconventional university. Right? Wow. This university, it's an online university. I've got three courses in there, which is free the mind, free your heart, and free your spirit. And I've made this program super extremely affordable. So affordable in the sense that if you can't afford it, I will give it to you for free. Right? That's the awesome. purpose behind this is to really get people started on their journey. It's kind of like what I had with Tony Robbins that I was talking yeah. about. Mm. I couldn't afford it. I don't want money to be anyone's excuse. Mm. Yeah. So this is really for people who want to step into this game, understand it, really start to leverage. So that I've got started. And also next year, I'm creating a brotherhood. This is called the Unconventional Awakened Brotherhood. And I'm going to teach men how to connect with themselves. Mm. Mm. Um, there is nothing stronger than a man healing another man. It's not just coming there and talking about your problems, but I'm going to teach him how to regulate emotions. That's awesome. It's kind of like personal development meets personal fitness. One of my ex-client, but also the guy that is going to help build this is an ex-military special forces. So he's going to be doing the training. I'm going to be doing the personal development side. I love that. So, uh, So yeah, it's going to be epic. Oh, right, so that starts next year. That's awesome. What's been the most rewarding part of what you've done in the last eight years? And what, what are you most proud of? Well, if you go on my social media, you'll find countless testimonials on there. And every single one of my clients are special. Everyone. I truly mean that. Um, there is one. She's actually a beautiful, amazing mother and a policewoman. She came to me about four years ago. And because of something that's happened in her past, right, childhood, I won't go too much into it, um, but also something happened on duty. She had a series of anxiety, PTSD. She was actually off work for about eight months. She couldn't go back to work, just mm. purely on the mental health side of things. Worked together for about six months or so before mm. she started going back into work. So she came to me, one of the things that she was studying law because she really wanted to be an activist in domestic violence, which is like, you know, a lot of my childhood was in domestic violence as well. She wanted to really change some of the legal systems that is mm. stopping women from 
speaking their truth mm-hmm. because of how it's set up. As soon as I saw her face, it was just like, wow, it's through her that I can actually help my mother. Mm. And after working with her, she keeps me informed. Right? She's got three beautiful kids, an amazing husband. Her parenting has gone amazingly well. Uh, relationship with the husband has gone really well. She sent me a message about a year ago where she's working on the legislation of um, changing some of the laws so the victims don't have to come to court to speak their truth. But she was responsible for that. And that wouldn't be possible if she wasn't able to let go of her past traumas. Mm. Right? So... You know, when that does get passed, or if it is already, this will be massive for people that are going through domestic violence. And it's like what you were saying before, she actually made, her tr- she turned her trauma into her purpose. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I know that you won't want to take credit for your role in all of that, but yeah. if it weren't for you... It would have been someone else that helped her out. Like, it's, it's the thing is that she's the one that, she did the work. Like I've like this is where Dharma comes into place. Right? She had such a massive transformational impact. Mm. Right? I mean, was it me that changed her? Look, I, I think I played a small helping part. But I mean <laughs> too humble. <laughs> it might have been someone else, but it was you, right? And I think if you won't give yourself credit for it, we're proud of you for playing that role in achieving that because that's that's insane to think about how far from where you started to how far you've come and then now the impact that you're passing on to other people. That's, yeah, that's ridiculous. Thank you. Can't stop the leaking. <laughs> <laughs> it's just pouring out now. So as a way of kind of wrapping up that the section that we were just talking about, uh, and we addressed it a little bit before about the journey to freedom. Mm. And, you know, we've seen some of your clips where you speak about this as well on your social media. But what do you think, and this is obviously a loaded question, but just to summarise, what do you think the journey to freedom is in the sense of, you know, having that right mindset to free yourself from mm. even just day-to-day stresses that all of us really get caught up in? Yeah, um, stress is a definite part of life, but it's not a permanent part of life. Mm. Um, but the journey to freedom, if I'm going to sum it up real quick, is discover your dharma. Mm. Your dharma, which is a Sanskrit word, is who you are, why you exist, and what you're here to do. If you're really serious about freeing your mind, freeing your spirit, freeing your heart, if freedom is something that you're after, if you're serious about, you know, getting past this whole anxiety, depression, stuck, lost, confused, overthinking, overanalyzing, being an imprisoner of your own mind, mm-hmm. if that's where you are right now, go on the journey and discover your dharma. Mm-hmm. It's something that will transform you so deeply that you won't be able to go back to where you came from. Yeah, love that. And it's one of those things that there's no answer of how to find your dharma, right? It's something that you have to do yourself. There's yeah, no, yeah, no yeah. one out there who can do it for you. No one can do it for you. There are people that can help you, 
You definitely do not need to do this by yourself. There's a lot of time, money, and energy that will be wasted, like kind of like what I did a little bit yeah. um, if you try to do it by yourself. But yeah, no one can do it for you. Yeah, yeah, mm. love that. Well, Nero, thank you again so much for joining us. Um, that conversation, to be very honest, didn't take the direction that I thought it would, but I feel like it was so much more powerful than I anticipated coming in. So you. your story is so inspirational and the work that you're doing is so great. I think um, the brotherhood that you're starting next year yeah. is something that I would love to be a part of. So um, we'll put all the links to where our listeners can find your Instagram and courses and everything um, in our show notes. So keep an eye out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Nero. Definitely on the record for the first time I've cried on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. And that's a wrap on our last episode of season one. Thanks so much for joining us. I don't know about you, Rami, but speaking to Nero as well as Janani and Annika from a health series has really got me inspired and motivated to improve and work on myself in the new year. Yeah, me too. And hopefully our listeners feel that way as well. Again, everyone, thank you so much for all of the love and support throughout 2021 with this podcast. It seriously meant the world to us and we can't wait to keep learning and growing in 2022. For sure. We will be taking a little break to recharge and plan for what we can do better in the new year. We have some really exciting ideas to take this project to the next level and we want to come back bigger and better. So if you have any suggestions on how we can do that, please be in touch through our Instagram at suckerbetween underscore podcast and check out our bio and show notes for a quick feedback form. Yeah, and in the meantime, we hope you and your loved ones have a safe and wonderful holiday season filled with love and laughter. We'll catch you in January. See you then. Bye.